Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is a momentous occasion. It is the first ever repeat guest for the Andrew Curtis Show. So a few weeks ago, you may have listened to the conversation I had with Charles and Ferris Beasley. They have decided to become vegans. And I thought, hey, let's talk to people about why they become vegans. And so I did. It was really cool. And something that came up around that conversation before we recorded and then afterwards was in speaking to Charles in his role as a medical researcher and this idea of research. And what does it mean to do really good quality research? The reason I talk about it is this. Uh, you might have heard of the thing called the internet. If not, how are you listening to this podcast? I mean, what are you, like a wizard? Uh, the point being... The internet has made information really available to all of us. But that's the key point. There's a difference between information um, and, I guess, wisdom, right? We have all got an ability now to gain massive access to information. And when we say to one another, um, hey, go do your research, what can often happen, and I say this because I have been guilty of it, is that you can go and acquire information. But that is not the same as really critically passing that information and critically assessing, can this information be trusted? What does trustworthy information look like and not look like so that we are not blown backwards and forwards by every new piece of information that comes our way? And look, if I make it sound uh, patronizing at this point, because I'm very wary of trying not to do that, um, it's actually very hard to keep an open mind. It's very hard to have no biases affect our thinking. And that's something that needs to be acknowledged. Um, and that's why we also have a scientific method um, to research that we need to be aware of and, and follow. And there are principles that we can apply in every area of our lives. So that is a long way of saying that after talking with Charles about these sorts of things, I realized he was just the man I needed to have back on this show. First ever return guest to the Andrew Curtis show. I'm honored. Ooh, we are armed with a mighty fine Shiraz. Mm -hmm. Um, and ready to talk research. So um, I figure it's, it is actually probably best you tell people what you do for a living. Um, and we're going to kind of develop this conversation from there. Cool. Uh, I am a, I work for a local pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. um, down in Takapuna in Auckland. I am the research and development project manager. Uh -huh. So that's a heck of a mouthful. And the job is a heck of a workload. Um, so what I do is I have a bunch of projects in my portfolio mm -hmm. that span more or less the entire timeline of drug development. Mm -hmm. um, so that might be from very early stage stuff where there are uh, so formulation development for mm -hmm. new formulations of drugs, all the way down through the clinical trials, so non-clinical trials, um, so testing toxicity, pharmacology, mm -hmm. clinical trials, so testing safety and efficacy in man, mm -hmm. and then finally getting to the point where you can register a new drug with um, a regulatory agency. Okay. So, you know, MedSafe New Zealand, TGA Australia, mm. FDA. FDA. In the uh, US. We love the yeah. FDA. They're like, they're like, they're, I think people think of them the same way they think of like Spectre and the James Bond movie. Mm. It's like, there's, everything's backlit. Like there's Absolutely. no, there's no overhead lighting. Yeah, and you can't see offices. their faces, but no. you can see how broad their shoulders are. And exactly. how expensive the suit is. Exactly. And how much they rattle when all the gold kind of jingles together <laughs> as they move. Exactly. Ah, <gasps> uh, cynicism. It's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> so, um, just to cover all the bases too as well, your training is in medicine as well. So I did a, um, a bachelor's degree in science, mm -hmm. biology and medical, um, biomedical science. Uh -huh. And then I went on to do a master's degree on top of that. Okay. And that was in specifically, um, it's called, the degree was called bioscience enterprise. And that was more or less the uh, commercial development of new drugs, okay. uh, medical devices, etc. All right, cool. So mm. I say all that so that people know that you're not just, again, a guy that I met in the car park or, <laughs> oh, or whatever. So a, yeah. a lot of your guests, guys that you meet in the car park? Well, they're not people I have on the show, but oh, I right. meet a lot of people in car park. That's not the point. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Scandal. It's not true, mum. Mm. So the point is, um, what I wanted to talk about then was this idea of research. Um, because information is so available uh, mm. these days. It's like an understatement, you know, Google has been on the one hand, a great blessing to the world. And then mm. I see the double-edged sword of that mm. where when anything happens, um, and it can be around medicine, it can be around world politics or anything that somebody says, hey, well, go do your research. Oh yeah. Um, and it has often been confused for go and get information, which is not nice. the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So I think maybe it would be cool to start with 
just some basic kind of research methodology, really. If we're going to say that, like, how do you, when you are looking in these very complex kind of mm. issues, like, what are some of the principles that you follow, um, or just wider things that we must keep in mind if we're researching anything? Right. Yeah. I think the first thing that you always start off with. Um, in scientific research is a hypothesis. Uh-huh. You start off with an idea. It generally comes from um, existing information that you might have, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, this, this data is interesting. I want to know a little bit more about it yep. or see if something works. Mm. So that's your hypothesis is what you test. Right. And that's basically the crux of scientific research. You mm. are testing a hypothesis to see whether or not your hypothesis was correct. Yeah. Um, and then from once you've formulated a hypothesis that can be tested, you go, you know, you develop a method to do so, and um, then from the outcome of your research, you can then say, my hypothesis was true mm. or was not true. Uh-huh. It is a very regimented, very kind of strict sequential process that you go through right. um, to determine whether what your initial hypothesis was correct or not. Okay, so tell me then about when we're talking about that very strict and rigid um framework that we have to work within i mean mm-hmm. where did that where did that come from i mean yeah. when people hear that they go what is this again if you are prone to this kind of thinking you can think mm-hmm. well was this something that was set up by big farmer or somebody to cover their butts um which is not again by the way to say that of course there haven't been occasions where that's happened sure um but tell me about that framework where did that even come from why do we why do we adhere to it well you know, a hundred years ago, there was no standard method of testing, of, of medical testing, of medical research. Right. There was no regulation around um, medicine. There was no regulation around, you know, what it, what constitutes a medicine or a health product or a, vita- a supplement, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So it was free game for anyone. You know, you could go around yelling from the rooftops that my radioactive water will mm. heal your <laughs> your gout or whatever, sure. which whatever, probably would have been an important thing back then. Right. But... You know, no one would step in and say, have you tested that? Do you know that that's true? Is it safe? Is it effective? Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, around the, I suppose, the, the turn of the century, um, when everyone was kind of, well, not a lot of people were coming up with these absolute quackeries as, mm-hmm. you know, medical treatments. It started kind of getting aggress- more and more um, kind of dangerous. Right. And it, what really instigated the, the need for regulation, the need to have... Um, scientific ed- evidence to support a medical technology mm. was the disa- the thalidomide disaster okay. back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So that kind of was when this all came to a head. And that was, uh, thalidomide was initially used as a treatment to give to pregnant mothers, or to be mothers, mm. with uh, morning sickness. Yeah. And the problem was that they treated their morning sickness greatly, perfectly, went away, great. But the problem was there was a high incidence of um, thalidomide children, so with shortened yeah birth defects, birth yeah. defects, yes, um, and the children. So that was kind of like the turning point in the 20th century, where we where the kind of world got together and said we need to have standards in place um, to make sure that what we are giving to people as medical technologies mm. are in fact safe and effective. Right. So that was the turning point, and from then, from there, kind of uh, the standards put were put onto were put in place hmm. for us to, you know, research into different treatments. Okay, hmm. okay. So, I mean, obviously, we're specifically talking kind of medicine here, and we'll try and apply some of this stuff a bit more broadly later on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to get a little more granular then when we talk about that. So, like, what are some of those, um, the, the details behind some of those frameworks? What are we, mm-hmm. when, when somebody says something is scientifically tested, mm. what does that actually mean? It means that they have it's gone through the full... Um, the entire research and development um, like timeline. Uh-huh. So that starts out with testing in like a petri dish, so in vitro testing. Okay. Whether or not if you were to add, let's just let's just start with something like a drug. Okay. So you've got a new drug. You think that's going to work for a particular condition. Mm-hmm. You you go to the very very beginning of this research and development chain, mm-hmm. and that is the non-clinical testing, which starts with testing in a petri dish, uh-huh. making sure that it does more or less what you think it will do in just cells on their own. Yeah. Not in the person or in an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if that works, then you go, is, how toxic is it? So again, you're testing in a Petri dish, or mm-hmm. you might be um, testing in a solution, mm-hmm. whatever. Then you, if that works, moving on. Now you test it in 
a lot of people might be upset with this, but mm. this is just a fact. Yes. Testing it in animals. Uh-huh. Because, you know, and then you, you then there's many other steps. So you go, you know, animals, toxicity, if it works in animals, moving on, then we might go to man. Yeah. So you do a first test in man, very low dose to mm. see how toxic it is, if it is. Yeah. Because it's not just mm. about toxicity either. It's it's just a broad spectrum of what is the reaction to mm. X. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean you've got so many stepping stones and it is for the most part sequential. Mm. You can't go just straight into man. Right. And that, because and, you think it yeah. might be safe. You think right. it might be effective. You have to prove that it is you have done each of those steps. Okay. Okay. Prior to that. Um and even though cuz I mean when you say that as well, I mean what I've observed too is that you can still have occasions where something gets mm. through that gamut, but um it's kind of one of those cases where, you know, the squeaky wheel or whatever it is like. It's the thing where things go horribly wrong that we're aware of the stories. Whereas when you've had, you know, a thousand mm. other products or whatever have gone through that same development mm. cycle and mm. there's been no problem, of course, mm. there's no story to tell, right? Indeed. And, you know, you might be you might do all of this non-clinical testing, nothing in, in man, and then you get mm. to man and then all of a sudden it is something that you haven't seen before and all sure. those previous batteries of testing. Mm. You didn't see you now see in a person i think there was a recent case i think maybe last year or year, the year before where there was this french company and they were developing this really novel very interesting drug for pain relief okay and um it had gone through all those stages you know um in vitro testing non-clinical testing and mm. they're doing their first study in man mm. and they were they were giving uh, male volunteers um gradually increasing doses of this drug mm -hmm. and it got to a point that it was looking all fine you know you're just gradually upping mm -hmm. the dose it's mm -hmm. working well it got to a point and I, I forget the name of the drug but um at a certain concentration or a certain dose it was just a mess and two, uh. two men actually fell into a coma and then died wow so and there was nothing prior to that that would suggest that there would be that kind of reaction sure so it's, it's, it's not perfect and it is an incredibly risky process. Mm. Mm. And if you look at the figures of how many drugs or medical devices or biotechnological products that, you know, start out at the very beginning sure. and actually make it to the very end, it's mm. an infinitesimally small proportion. Sure. You know, because it's just so many steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for good reason. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, so i guess at this point then too i think it's important to talk about why i mean this is getting really kind of fundamental here too but i mm. think for people thinking about research and why there needs to be a method to follow um in terms of why there is even a scientific method in the first place mm. um in my understandings of even the origins of this uh, well sciences in general it was that people recognized that although your five senses mm. are fundamentally reliable you can get through every day with them um, we also have certain biases or certain um, limits um, in, in behavioral economics they talk about bounded rationality which mm -hmm. is say I can't be perfectly rational I'm rational within mm -hmm. the set little box that I've got mm. um, but life is more complex oh, yeah. than that mm. and so there are things that the scientific method is designed to account for mm. that might slip through my filter um, so is there some stuff on that front that you could speak to? Yeah, sure. Um, there's, you know, we're, we're going back to your point you made it at the beginning. You know, we're, we're so, we're exposed to so much information mm. and it's almost as if like just the, the world, you know, throws everything at us and sees what sticks. Yeah. And what sticks to us is very different for different people. Yeah. And the problem is a lot of it might not actually make, make a lot of sense because mm. it's being kind of like diluted and transformed along that. You know, pipeline between the originator of such information hmm. and the actual like the sounding piece or sounding board or whatever yeah you know so I think um, to, to that point there's an important aspect of like collating the totality of the evidence yeah because we're very as human beings we're very much influenced by something that is quite dramatic mm. and you know you know we see it every day on tv they heighten claims they heighten you know like anything to sell a story yeah right sure. yeah um <clears throat> so you know you might be bombarded with information but it won't actually consider all the evidence that is actually available mm. so that's the um, really important aspect of um you know medical research is actually a, a meta-analysis so mm. that compiles everything that is known on the topic mm. topic <laughs> really bad kiwi accent in there <laughs> topic topic um on a, on a known topic 
and um, you know, putting it all together to, to tell the actual message distilled down across you know, yeah. you know, many, many, many individual studies. Mm. So, what are the, um, I guess the, the traps that they make you aware of when you're about to get into doing, in your case, kind of medical research? But mm -hmm. again, I'm confident that the principles hold across the board. Mm. What are the things they tell you to be wary of? Um, and I say this so that again, anybody listening becomes aware that these are weaknesses for everyone. Yeah. Something that struck me when I started to understand research and, and psychology was that we all have these. There is no person on earth who says, ha, I have no biases. <laughs> um, and so even now for me, like I am probably more prone to accept a uh, clinical scientific trial than somebody who has more of a um, net, you know, quote unquote natural medicine right. kind of interpretation of something. Even mm. if it is valid, I know mm. that would be a thing for me where I'd be like, eh, no. <laughs> so when we're, that's a long way again of coming back to saying, what are some of the pitfalls or traps that they make you aware of yeah. um, that you have to start to learn to account for in testing? Well, the main, I suppose the main thing, the, the high level stuff is like the design of, of a study. Okay. Um, you know, so it might be um, whether or not it was randomized, whether or not it was double blinded, mm -hmm. whether or not there was a control, whether that control was a placebo, um, mm. how many patients saw were in the trial, um, mm. if the trial had been replicated. Right. So there's a lot of levels that uh, are involved to, to kind of le legitimize the finding. Yeah. You know, a lot of things, it's very, and these, these things are very hard to do mm. right. And account for each of those aspects. You want it to be randomized because you don't want to accidentally allocate certain patients to one treatment that might, you know, screw with your results. Yeah, sure. You, know, you want it to be controlled. You want to make sure that your result is getting is relevant towards the against the status quo. Sure. Or a placebo. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure there are enough people in the trial to make sure that they're um, that the result you're getting is just isn't just random chance yeah sure so there are a lot of layers here and the, the main problem is that there's not a lot of that going on because it's so damn expensive right you know another layer is the the replication yeah you even if it, even if a study and even if medical research is done mm. correctly and it's really well controlled and really mm. well designed mm. um, there is the chance that you might just get a result yeah that's completely random Actually, I'll jump in on that point because it was something I was thinking about as I was ruminating on what we we're going to talk oh, about yeah. today. Um, but that idea, or I've just kind of had this insight that really for, I guess, the non-scientific community, mm. we see the, the publication of a study as an end. Mm -hmm. So somebody has just come up with a study that says X now causes Y. Ooh, or, yeah. you know, it takes, you know, yeah. I love, love more Y. <laughs> Give me more of that X stuff. Uh, and so we go, oh, wow, look, there's a study and that now proves that if I eat more eggs, then I'll get less Parkinson's. Yeah. That's so casual and gross to say like that. So that, yeah, yeah. anyway. Um, we might, we could do a Google search right uh, yeah. now. We might find <laughs> we something out could, right? Yeah. So, but we hear this and, and it gets, again, it ends up in the papers. Yeah. And to the, the non-scientific community, um, I'm aware that we see this stuff and go, oh, look, mm. somebody's done a study. It's oh, been yeah. proven that. Yeah. Whereas actually in the scientific community, the study is actually the beginning. It's the first point because mm. after a study comes, it's almost like a, a challenge to the world that says, this is what we found, now bring it. Yeah. And scientists being what they are go, I'm going to try and mess you the hell up. <laughs> and it's that process of replication, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good way of putting it. Putting it. It is the beginning point, but I don't, it's not done enough, right? Because no one wins like a prize. For, well, no one win, no one knows who came second in the hundred meter race yeah. at the Olympics. Sure, everyone knows Usain Bolt won, mm -hmm. but yeah, couldn't tell you who came second, third, fourth, any of the other seven yeah. Yeah. people in the race. No one wins a Nobel Prize by doing a study a second time round. Yeah, sure. Um, and which is which is why. Uh, you're making the point earlier that we need to have those that meta-analysis. If we're not going to replicate, then at least combine results from a you know plethora of different, sure, um, similar or related mm. studies mm. to collate that influence, collapse it down into one strong message. Sure, and you might end up finding that even though you've got one study that said yes to mm. a certain um, association and three said no, one said maybe, when you put that all together, they might all say no. Right. And yeah. When you consider the totality of the evidence, mm. um, and that never. I mean, there's nothing sexy about that. There's nothing. <laughs> right. There's not going. That's not going to sell papers. That's not going to. Yes. Man, prove something that everyone already thought. Ah, oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good on you, mate. Yeah. So 
it, it's tricky. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this idea though that when when a study is presented, um, that in terms of corroborating what has has you know been disclosed, and again. I'm trying, uh, at the risk of over-laboring this point for people as well, we're talking medical here, but I'm saying this is the same for politics, for economics, for anything, where somebody comes out and says one thing. Mm. Um, the At least within you know things like medical research, there is something to be said for, okay, well, there's a process of proving, can I replicate mm. what you've just talked about? And I think that that principle is incredibly powerful, particularly when people are talking about, say, health breakthroughs, because people's lives can literally be on the line here. Mm that you go, okay, we found this, but good science is somebody else saying, oh, you found that? Well, if I can find that too, then we've got something yeah. here. Um, because it is not proof, and this is where I'm sermonizing, I suppose, but you can just smile and nod at this point. Um, it is not proof for one person to come out with one study that says, I have found X. Because mm. you can, like you say, you can, you can follow that system, follow that procedure, and there can be a whole bunch of variables that you don't even know are involved, right? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that whole idea of replication, sorry, go. Yeah, actually, interesting you're talking about um, behavioral economics because I'm, I'm not too familiar with his work now because I haven't read his book in a while, but mm. um, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, um, he won a Nobel Prize for his work, which is really incredible. Yeah. And it's very impactful for a lot of people. Mm. But on the point of replication, um, there was a few, few groups in the US that tried to replicate his work and they just couldn't. Mm. And... Um, Dr. Kahneman, you know, he won a Nobel Prize for that. Right, so, right. But equally, we, you know, I was reading up on this and, you know, a lot of people were very disgruntled that they couldn't replicate it, but mm. just equally as many people could. Right, So, okay. you know, even within replication, you need to replicate the replication. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and collapse it. So it's, it's, incre it's incredibly tricky, time-consuming and, like, labor-intensive yeah. process, all of this, kind of, regardless of, of the discipline. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So then, when we're looking at, at this, again, this process of, of researching, I mean, what is your approach? When you see anything come up in the news mm. or something like that, um, what's your approach when you look at those kind of things? What are some of the, the mental hurdles that you make stuff clear before you're prepared to go, okay? Right. That's good. Uh, the main thing would be uh, who's, who's telling me? Okay. And depending on that, will we'll dictate, you know, like your next steps. Sure. So if it's a, if it's a newspaper. Yeah. Or if it's, you know, TV, NZ, news, mm. TV3. Don't watch that much TV. Yeah. Most of the news I get mm. from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Study um. echo chambers, by the way, people. If you really want to blow your own mind, look, at, look up echo chambers in social media. Carry on. Do it. You'll be horrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so open-minded. Oh, God, I don't have my own original oh, thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, depending on who's telling you, you need to, I suppose, um, approach it differently. Mm. Um, and most most of us will get our information from, <laughs> God forbid, Facebook yeah. um, or just conventional news outlets. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, then you need to be really careful um, and make sure you go to the original article. Right. Because there can be a whole lot of just absolute distortions that have been made from an mm. original scientific report yeah. to the news article that's telling the rest of the public. Yeah, sure. <sighs> you know, like... You've you got can... an example in mind on that? <sighs> Put the acid on you right now. Oh, man. Tens of people are listening right now. Okay, so there was... Yeah, okay. There was, a, there was a study recently published um, by... Uh, can't remember exactly who it was, but okay. Friends of the Environment or something like that, and they uh -huh. got um, this lab over in the US to test all these different milk powders. Okay. So baby form powders. Mm -hmm. And to test for um, this ingredient called, well, molecule called hydroxyapatite. Mm -hmm. And nanoparticles mm -hmm. of hydroxyapatite. Okay. And um, this all sounds very technical, and there's yeah, a point no, to that. That's good. No, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, and from the, uh, the outcome of this research, which was done in, a, in an accredited lab in Boston, I believe, um, they published this really kind of inflammatory, kind of scaremongering article yeah. that got picked up by news networks, particularly in Australia, yeah. which said, um, uh, 
hydroxyapatite nanoparticles found in baby formula uh-huh. or M in particular these brands. Right. Now, if you if you don't know what nanoparticles are or hydroxyapatite <laughs> is, yeah, sure. that's that's pretty terrifying. That yeah. sounds really, you know, and they in in like the top catch like the tagline was like hydroxyapatite needles, needles in your gut, all these things which uh, right. are just very misleading. Sure. And you know, we you know, so it just um Anyway, so breaking that down, you look into it and you go, hang on, okay, a nanoparticle is just something that's be below size 100 microns. Uh-huh. Okay, cool, great. Yeah. Um, uh, hydroxyapatite is the main ingredient in your, of your bones and your teeth. Uh-huh. So it's it's not that dangerous. Right. So when you put those two together, it just, like the headline really should mean um, scientists find stuff that makes up your teeth and, and bones ground up and in baby formula as a normal mm-hmm. ingredient. Right. But it still sounds horrific you know like this is i mean one of the things that i've looked into to in in just my general you know geekery um was this idea of that there is something to be said for like a naturalism bias that we have as mm-hmm. well that they've basically done studies with people they said hey look if you know we were to give you a particular um compound or extract and one of them was taken from a natural source and another one was made in a lab mm. even though they're biologically identical mm. or chemically identical mm. is probably a better way to say it um, people would say, oh, well, give me the natural thing. Right. Um, and in fact, that's probably a good point to extend into as well, because something that I find, I guess, humorous on the one hand, but then a little bit tragic as well, is when people start talking about, uh, you know, this thing has got chemicals in it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a nearly spit up the wine moment. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't want to alarm you, Charles, actually, but this, this wine that I've given you is actually full of dihydrogen oxide. Oh, my goodness. How many other chemicals are there in there? Oh, just well. I mean, should we take we should should we take that out of there? I think we probably should, shouldn't we? I'm not drinking this. Yeah. Uh, in case you're wondering, <laughs> dihydrogen oxide is water. Uh, yeah. Two, two hydrogen, <laughs> one oxygen. That's dihydrogen oxide. So everything is chemicals. Everything. Everything is chemicals. So just if if we can do nothing else, can you speak to that a little bit? Like this this idea of these chemicals in my food. So, well, your food is chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. If you were to, you know, put a label on an orange, yeah. the, the list would go on for a very long time. Sure. And if you were to break up, like, the chemicals involved in each of those ingredients in, say, like, a pre-cake mix, yeah. it wouldn't fit on the box. Yeah, right. You know, so this... Uh, my perspective is that we're kind of moving away from this, like, chemical phobia, and I'm quite glad to see that. You, um, see, because I haven't, I haven't observed that same phenomenon. Oh, so I'm glad. Maybe you're hanging out with other. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, hanging out with a lot your of friends, scientists. Our friends each meet each other and just want to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's not, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, and that's, I guess, that speaks to a lot of. Again, it's like you know, fear mongering. Sure. This whole organic movement, where it's yeah. you know, spray free, pesticide free, uh-huh. herbicide free, etc., yeah. etc. Et um, while there might be a little bit of merit into that, there yeah. isn't any evidence to suggest that like that benefits you as a person, mm. nor the grower, mm. nor like the environment yeah. in particular, like in a really meaningful, impactful manner. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's because that's when we're saying that as well, it's not giving all chemicals a free pass because that's that's kind of what your toxicity tests and things like that are about, right? Sure. We're not saying that you can just put anything in anything and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, but to say that, you know, um, I remember, oh gosh, it was, and I mean, they're easy, easy targets, but like, you know, say internet food bloggers and things like that who mm. say, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat anything that has ingredients that you can't pronounce. Oh, yeah. And you go, well, that. That sounds great. That's where I talk about that naturalism bias, you know, where I said, this has got an orange in it. (laughs) Whereas this one has got, you know, dihydrogen oxide. It's like, oh God, no, not that. Um, But it's it's just understanding that on a biological level, a chemical is a chemical and your body doesn't know the difference. No. So, because there's, well, there's probably people who are listening to that and not responding well to it, but there's no such thing as a natural chemical versus a synthetic chemical, no, right? Like, no, no difference. If you would look at them individually, yeah, yeah, no difference yeah. at all. Yeah. And that's what your body breaks down and absorbs to get yeah. nutrition from. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, because there are na- there are natural compounds that will kill you. <laughs> totally, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, like um, everything is safe to eat or safe to ingest. All that matters is the dose. That's a, okay. Let's talk about that. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, like cyanide is fine if you have one 
thing of cyanide, one molecule of cyanide. Right. The lethal dose is not much higher than one of one molecule, you know. So that, yeah, yeah. So we just need, like enough honey will kill you, enough bananas will kill you. You know, yeah. there's so much. You can eat 27 in a day though and be fine. Well, you can, but yeah. <laughs> that would be that'd be quite quite difficult. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> in joke. So, but that that idea of dosage though, mm -hmm. um, that that's quite a powerful thing because when we talk about, um, I mean, it's the same thing when you talk about the milk formula kind of stuff. Right. Like it's it's easy for there to be trace elements of anything in anything. Mm. Uh, you know, the world is a um, volatile place. You can pick up trace components and molecules of different stuff. Um, but the the key point, and this is what we're talking about here, and this this cu cuts across into medicines and things like that as well, is that it's easy to look at a product and say this contains, and that's why I like using the you know dihydrogen oxide example. Yeah. Um, this contains chemical name, mm -hmm. and we go. <gasps> yeah. Uh, I mean, I like poking the bear, so we're going to go there. Thimerosal. <laughs> oh, great. Cool. Should we go there? Let's, Let's do, do that. It. Let's do it. So, so this is an antifungal agent that was present in um, vaccines, mm -hmm. uh, but it is built from mercury. Mercury, and of course, we all know mercury kills you. It does. Right. So. Or does it? Or does it, Charles? <laughs> so this is this is the point, though. So let's let's speak to that when we're talking about a the presence of a chemical or something like that. Again, I'm not looking to give anything a free pass here, but there is an there's a level of fear that doesn't need to exist for certain things. Right. So let's talk about mm. dosage and, and maybe that particular example. Yeah. Um, what's, what's going on with that? What's the deal? Well, as you mentioned, thimerosal is you know, a preservative that was used in vaccines. Yeah. Um, made from mercury, but it's not pure mercury. Sure. Pure mercury, that's, that's the dangerous stuff. Sure. Um, but thimerosal is very different to pure mercury you know but it's, it's based on mercury charles how can it be different <laughs> sorry i gotta i gotta play the, i gotta play the card <laughs> very good i don't know too much to be yeah. honest like in, in, okay. in just a full disclosure i don't know too much about like the the, the actual chemical makeup and yeah. like the the impact it has on your body sure. i didn't do a, a heck of a lot of chemistry yeah. at um university but um it it just it is very it's it doesn't use very much now but it is a comparatively yeah. very safe mm. um preservative yeah and it's not used in any vaccines these days yeah sure um, to my knowledge no um, um yeah that's my understanding as well right good yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but it's it's uh it's a molecule and it's got um sulfur in it and hydrogen in it yeah and it just has completely different like chemical properties yeah. to pure mercury right so it's very different sure you know it's like saying um uh potassium is bad because potassium and chloride are used to um, using lethal injection. Sure. So I better avoid bananas. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's kind of a similar thing to that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and that's a perfect example. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting to here, mm. that if you break everything down, everything is chemicals. Um, and so the reason we have, we have testing on things mm. for a start is to say, well, it's not so much about, I mean, you're right, you know, you can overdo it. I mean, we have a massive obesity epidemic and you could say that's, well, that's sugars. Mm. So sugars are toxic like what are you gonna do <laughs> with that kind of thinking you know yeah. that's the the to my understanding you know when we're looking at medical research on different things mm -hmm. it's more a matter of saying well what is what is a dosage that that produces the results that we want and doesn't produce the results that we don't want right yeah yeah oh, it's like a risk benefit balance yeah you know what yeah. is an acceptable amount of risk to expose someone to achieve a benefit and some other yeah you know outcome yeah yeah, yeah cool <laughs> so let, let's go back then again to those mm. those hurdles we're talking about for you know you mentioned sources um mm. for for information mm. um what are some other things even for yourself that uh you know that you when you're evaluating a piece of information that you run it run it through um yeah so the, uh the peer review so where the original article came from if it yeah. had undergone peer review actually okay i'm going to jump in on that point oh, then right do. there because for those who don't know what peer review oh, is yeah. Um, when, when somebody, you know, I said earlier on, uh, and by you, I'm talking to, to you, dear listener, um, this is my radio training coming in. I'm just talking to you. There's yeah. no one else in the room. It's, it's just you and me yeah. and Charles, but he's, he's a nice guy. It's the sound of my voice. Um, <laughs> lost my own train of thought on that. That was great. <laughs> that was worth it. No, this idea of peer, peer review, review, you know, we talked about how when, when a piece of 
researchers first presented, mm. um, it goes up for peer review, mm. um, which is to say that you can't just go, I've discovered this thing, and then everyone goes, oh, great. Yeah. Because fortunately, it's where one of those moments where maybe the lesser parts of human nature actually work in our favor. Um, there's nothing a scientist likes more than crapping on another scientist. <laughs> 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 I can relate to that on so many levels. <laughs> right. But I mean, I yeah. think that's important to say, because there are people who, you know, you can believe that everyone's sitting in there patting each other on the back. But the whole process of peer review is to say, when somebody goes, I have discovered X, the good old X strikes again, um, that there is this actually quite aggressive um, network of peers. And by peers, I'm talking scientists with similar... Um, research backgrounds mm. who then take a look at your research and do what Charles just crap all over it more yeah. or less more yeah. or less yeah. yeah I've I've authored a few um, <laughs> papers in various journals uh-huh. and um, yeah when you submit your manuscript you get within you know 30 to 90 days you get a whole bunch of comments from the reviewers mm. and they 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 range from the the nice and you know kind of cordial to mm. the downright nasty all oh, right okay and it is a, it's a very very beneficial thing yeah um because if if when you when you're writing something you you are writing it from you're trying to distill down the work that was done the screeds and screeds and screeds of pages long so much data it's just ridiculous down into something that can be communicated concisely in a report mm. right that mm. would be published yeah and to do that you can miss out certain you know valid or you know, important points. Yeah, sure. So a, what a peer reviewer does is looks at your manuscript and says, is it meaningful? Mm. Can it be replicated on um, on the information that you presented it there? Mm. And is it relevant to my journal and my readership? Right. And like society as, as a whole. Sure. And if you don't measure up to those thing, those four kind of categories, then sorry, mate, we won't publish yeah. your article. Yeah. So yeah, in the process of us getting um, our work published, um, we've had to change a few things mm. and it, 10 out of 10, 10 times out of 10 will make your work better yep. and it is more important to have that done mm. what i'm sad to see though is the rise of pay for publish okay journal yeah journals okay which is where they have kind of like shady peer review processes they call themselves peer reviewed uh-huh. but they're really not okay and we've approached a few of them in the past um, and you know when they review your work, it's just empty. You know, yeah. There's very little going on. So that's l- quite shady. It's quite dangerous, and I think it's you know it's a bit of a black mark. Sure. On the whole process, because peer review is just absolutely essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, and that's important to acknowledge as well, mm. because we're saying too with this that it's still not a flawless process. Oh God. No. Um, and so there is still room for it to be taken advantage of. Mm. Right. Um, but we still do it because, again, I'll, I'll chime in on my two cents and I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. Like one of the reasons that I have observed um, in terms of a, a accepting a scientific model for looking at research mm. that, I mean, you talked about it earlier on, that fundamentally it, a scientific model is simply to say, okay, well, look, I have a hypothesis. I'm going to test this hypothesis. And then if others can test and get the same result, then we're on to something. Mm. That's kind of it yep. in a nutshell. And that's the same approach that you need to take with things like news and, and current affairs stories and all this kind of stuff, where somebody says, this person said this. And we go, okay, is it just one person telling me that, that you said this? Are there other sources for this? You know, if, mm. if there are, then we're kind of onto something. Now, the whole reason I say that, and that the fact, from my perspective, there is a scientific method, is that the alternative, if you do not have a scientific method, is you are left with anecdotal evidence oh yeah which is more i saw this thing happen mm. now there's nothing wrong with saying i saw something happen but this is something we talked about when we were getting ready to start recording there's a difference between correlation and causation mm-hmm. um and people have done this before as well they say things like um you know oh isn't it interesting if you look back in history uh there was a, a correlation between like rising hemlines and economic performance in america Oh, that's way better than mine. Damn. <laughs> I'm serious. So more like, skin, more productivity. Yeah, yeah. Like people are like, oh, is it? And you go, okay, so I'm seeing this happen at the same time as this other thing happen. Oh, this must be causing that. Um, right. But definitely not uh, the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? So, I mean, the, the whole idea is that two things can happen at the same time. 
but are not um, necessarily but causally related. Are they? Yeah. Did A cause B? Right. Uh, see, so we moved to A and B now instead of X and Y. Oh, interesting. Or, yeah. You like that? We've so got no we've got, Z though. We've got 26 letters, man. We're just going to work our way through. Um, but yeah, that, that's yeah. that's the whole thing, right? Absolutely. But, yeah. So you, you know, there's people going on these funny alkaline diets. Okay. Um, and they might think, oh, the alkaline diet made me lose weight. Well, if you look at the alkaline diet, um, it's pretty low calorie. So maybe you just lost weight because you were <laughs> not eating enough sure. to sustain your current body mass. Yeah. You know, it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah. 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 There's plenty more scandalous examples. Oh yeah. Um, go on then. You know. Uh, <laughs> do you want to go there? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> um, oh. My, uh, I took my child to get their routine shots, and uh, two weeks later they were a little bit sick, or a little bit, you know, yeah. grumpy. Yeah. Um, pff, must have been the vaccine. Not keen about it. Right. Right. So stuff like that, or yeah. 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 Well, and look, here's the thing too with that. It, it's perfectly natural to make that observation. Um, something about human nature as well, and this is stepping into the kind of the economics side of things, behavioral economics and behavioral psychology, is that we are human beings are terrible at not attributing blame to something mm. so like if something happens to go ah oh, this happened bugger like you know like <laughs> yeah. no no it's like this happened ah i know there must have been mm -hmm. you know and again you talk about in health and politics it could be ah there must have been some shadowy underworld organization them reptiles though yeah yeah <laughs> no right well as obama was their former leader um or yeah. maybe he still is or maybe he consumed <laughs> right. the body of trump do you can you prove that he didn't <laughs> i can't yeah well there you go yeah so yeah, yeah the la absence yeah. of evidence is therefore yeah. yeah right 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 but i mean that's that's the point right mm. that we're going one thing you know one thing being correlated to another is not the same as a you know this thing caused this mm. other thing. and that's but that's what we're trying to say here that's what the scientific method is about you have a hypothesis that says this happened and this happened around yeah. the same time. That's actually the father of all hypotheses. Oh, yeah. That you go, oh, I see these two things. Mm. So what's actually going on here? But mm. the scientific method is then to say, okay, well, let's see if there is actually a causal relationship. So does this always cause this or cause this in a significant enough, you know, number yeah. of occasions? Yeah. For us to go, this is a, yeah, this is a thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. You'd sum that up perfectly. Oh, yeah. look at that. <laughs> Can I get a Bachelor of Science now? Surely, surely not. <laughs> they don't just I didn't pay 50 grand for mine just for you. To... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so alright, so I mean, but that, that correlation and causation thing, I mean that's, that's quite a key kind of part of that um, side of thing as well. Mm. Again, if we step back, you know, we talked about peer review as another means of looking at is this legit or not? What's, yeah. what's another thing that people can look for? Uh, or that you look for? Another thing, oh, like I sp spoke to earlier, was just the, the article, the original article. Is okay. It, is it just like a blog? Ah, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> of yeah. some, you know, maybe a person or a scientist or whatever. Uh -huh. Is it. Um, You're the model of restraint right there, by the way. I could see there was this kind of going through, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, yep. <laughs> is, it a, is it a paper published article or is it a reputable. Journal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But even there, yeah. So that's that's a that's a classic case. Is it a health news network which right. reference themselves? Right. Yeah. That's a classic one. Okay. And they, you know, even within my echo chamber on social media, that pops up quite a lot. Yeah. Sure. Um, things like that, or derivatives. You know, um, mm. David Avocado, David Avocado Wolf. Okay. He does a lot of things, which is you know quite quackish. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's looking at the. At where it came from originally, but then going a step, sure. No, no, no. Then go going on, go a step on. back is also which it, there's there's so many links to this chain, you know, and it's yeah. just, I totally understand why everything gets distorted from you know original publication or report to you know the general public. It's, yeah, there's so many links. Yeah. Um, but another one is like who sponsored the research? Yeah, sure. You know, was it? Uh, a drug company? Was it uh, an agricultural company? Yeah. Was it a pesticide company? Mm. Was it you know? You name it. Mm. So there's, there's all these very like difficult things to look at, which kind of overall add together to to speak to the quality of the research. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that amplification of um, I guess links and references is actually something I think that's really important to talk about where the internet is concerned, mm -hmm. because you can have a report that gets cited on. 50 different websites and so we suddenly go oh there's 50 different sources or 50 different 
mm. sites, whatever you might want to call them, that are referencing this particular report. So that means there's 50 pieces of evidence for it. Right, yeah. I never thought about that. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's when it's people dangerous. talk about the confusion. Well, when they talk about the confusion that they get, and this is, again, part of really, I actually honestly look at this podcast as almost like a, a public service announcement to say that because there is, and people are legitimately trying to get answers. This is mm. not making fun of that because we want to understand stuff. But then you jump online and good old Dr. Google kicks in. Mm. And I will let you know right now, by the way, having worked in digital marketing yes this is me talking to you again dear listener hello how are you um that google is a search algorithm looks for page content um and relevance to your search topic it does not in any way assess the validity of whatever it presented so if i said i wanted to look for um cheap secondhand bicycles it will search pages that seem relevant and and, ref, and frequently referenced for cheap secondhand bicycles. It will not tell me how good the bicycles are. It can't do that. Right. So when I'm looking at news information or medical information, mm. um, just because it got picked up in a search engine, that tells me that that page responds really well to Google's search algorithm. It is not a guarantee that the content on that page mm hold any water at all right yeah mm. so again let, i mean let's keep going on this front too what else are we looking at to say is this information that i'm being presented with relevant um or reliable um so we covered you know the source of information mm. um the type of research that it was yeah um things like peer review peer review yeah and like the the design of the study yeah um what else is important Ooh. Peer review, mm. replication. Yeah, I mean that kind of really that does kind of covers the covers it all. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's hard. There's a lot of things to consider. You yeah, know? and yeah, man, you know, like I wish I could turn on the news and just go, oh, you know, the new research pops <laughs> up. It's like, hey guys, three glasses of champagne a week will decrease your incidence or yeah. you know, risk of Alzheimer's. Right, right, and you right. Go, cool and you listen to that and go sweet that justifies my alcoholism yeah. but but then when you kind of like you know scratch beneath the surface you realize that research was done in rats yeah and they were just fed like i don't know some molecule that is also found in champagne yeah right and right they had right. a lower rate of you know neurodegenerative disease yeah sure so it's 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 a tricky thing and yeah within that we it's we have so much information available to us mm. and the problem is that it's it's quite distorted yeah and it suits our biases and mm. it suits and it sits, resides within our echo chambers sure but with that we i my observation is that we feel empowered by this ability to accumulate information yes but the problem is that the accumulated the accumulation of information isn't knowledge isn't knowledge right and and getting that we have this kind of like pseudo like wisdom yeah um about us and we kind of uh second guess like authoritative figures have you ever heard of the dunning-kruger effect no oh you'll love this then because oh, right. this is um it was actually something they they gave it that name they almost called it the american idol effect okay that's cool um way but better it was, than dunning-kruger uh, by the way well is it though because you know would you miss with a firm called dunning-kruger like if you got it served from dunning-kruger you'd be like i'm dead yeah. I just game over. That's it. Dunning Kruger after me. GG. Um, but the, the idea was that, you know, they were trying to figure out why it was that people would apply to appear on American Idol or audition rather mm. and be awful. Oh, yeah. And not know it. Mm -hmm. And they're going, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And what they got to, uh, uh, you know, their findings were really about this fascinating insight about human behavior that says we are more confident about a topic mm. the less we know about it. Ah, all right. So, um, again, if you've ever talked to somebody at a dinner party or whatever who, who wants to give you a lecture on, I'll tell you why the economy is the way it is. Mm -hmm. or I'll tell you mm -hmm. how you can fix mm -hmm. the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and then you go, okay. And then, of course, a lot of the situations we come up against are, are very, very complex. But if you have a superficial level, an entry-level amount of knowledge about something, you can spike in your confidence about that topic yeah. very early on. Um, and then the more you learn, the more you start to go, oh, actually, maybe there's more to this than I yeah. thought. And then you kind of come back down to it at yeah, the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And you notice that with people that have, that have formal scientific training. Sure. Is that they actually 
sound unsure of themselves. Mm. Oh man, I love that point. <sighs> yes. And I and I think when I sound, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I know everything. God no. I mean, yeah, I know yeah. the absolute opposite. I know yeah. very little. I know yeah. a lot about a certain subject, but sure. not all of it. Hmm. Certainly wouldn't Thanks. pretend Keep your to. ego in check, will you, Charles? Jeez, yeah, buddy. you know. You, oh, man. <laughs> okay. Yep. But um, because you're, you're taught to say that you, 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 you we are taught that um, the information might not be true it just mm. supports a hypothesis yes oh and man that's that a good is point. and it is limited by the design of study the, the, sure. the amount of information that you have you mm. know so mm. it might not actually be true yeah because not enough has been actually done on the topic sure so we're constantly like, i mean i know i see this in myself and a lot of my colleagues you know yeah we end up being very ha having quite conditional yes. terminology or vocabulary yeah, yeah. like it suggests studies yeah. show it demonstrates that yeah you know it is not absolute whereas people that you know don't yeah know that that is very often black or white an absolute yes like, perspective that is such a good point yeah is it there's a, a very strong reluctance to say anything in an absolute sense absolutely. in the scientific community mm. and but this is the problem and again if you're listening this is why it sounds like this when people go to try and get research about something and they go talk to scientists and the scientist sounds cagey because they're not prepared to say to you no there is absolutely no whatever mm, mm. and i mean you know even in other things that we've kind of alluded to um there might be a multitude of studies but the best that most will say is that there is no evidence linking this to this right but you won't find a scientist who is prepared to say there is a hundred percent no <laughs> no i mean even if I cross into philosophy for a moment, come with me, Charles, as we cross over into philosophy. Um, philosophically, it's impossible to prove something in the negative. Let, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. If I tell you, Charles, that there is no such thing as a green stone with, with pink polka dots on it anywhere in the world, how do mm -hmm. I prove that? I have to go all over the world. Yeah. I can say I've been to these countries. Say, oh, but you haven't been to these places. Mm. And then you've been to the highest mountain, but have you been to the lowest valley? And then yeah. have you been yeah. underwater? Yeah. You know, so to prove something absolute in the negative is impossible. Right. Yeah. Like you, you can't completely prove it. However, what you can do, and this is what medical studies and, and other research is about, is you can prove it to a point that it's statistically so unlikely. Um, let me put it another way. Nobody lives their life like a one in one billion chance could happen. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So like if I have said to you that, you know, the chance of me being hit by a plane as I walk outside is one in... I don't know. Yeah, let's say one in a hundred billion. That's mm -hmm. probably wrong, but whatever. You know, it would be crazy for me to say, oh, so you're saying it could happen. So, well, yes, it could. It could. You've got me. You've yeah. got me. It could happen. Mm. But it's so unlikely that I am not going to drive around town constantly checking the skies yeah. to see if a plane's about to hit me mm. because it is so unlikely. Mm. But is it never going to happen? Mm. Well, I can't tell you it will never happen. Yeah. So this is an understanding of... of I guess the scientific dialogue that I think is really important for people to have. Mm. That's where that comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Yeah, very hey, good. Thanks, man. <laughs> I think about stuff. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Time has flown. All right, so right. we got about five minutes, man. Right. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so again, anything else in terms of um, again just observations from within the, the scientific community or, or the way that research in general needs to be applied um, mm. that can be helpful for people. Just be, I think people just need to be mindful of where the information is coming from. Sure. And aside from all the things that I'm, I mentioned um, mm. in terms of like design of the study, peer review, you know, yeah. rigorousness yeah. of how the, 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 the research was performed, it's also important to um, uh, kind of recognize who benefits as right. well. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, like if a lot of people love their blogs and, you know, yeah. love reading them and love their, you know, um, Facebook pages and whatnot. Yeah. And you know oh, we all do, man. I mean let's be honest. Gracious, Nothing's man. better than you feeling know. like those other guys are idiots. <laughs> it doesn't matter who they are, there's always other guys and they're always idiots. <laughs> but um you know, like the world the world is like there to make I mean people need to make money. Sure. You know. It's yeah. not there just for like <laughs> just for like the benefit of the people. They're sure. people there to make money. They're trying to sell you something. Sure. They're sort of trying to sell you a headline. They're trying to sell you content. They're trying to sell mm. you, you know, news from a particular point of view. Mm -hmm. It's it's really tricky. Mm. And I I think it's it's, it's gonna be difficult for 
us in, in the future as we probably consume more and more content and mm. we find ourselves more and more in these echo chambers and we find ourselves, you know, m thinking we have more and more wisdom on yeah. every aspect <laughs> of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the importance we need to be aware of as a society is that we're, we are, we're not infallible, mm. you know, and we need to be okay with not knowing everything. Right. Um, and I find myself, you know, um, all the time, like saying something and then six months later when I've gathered a bit more information, sure. going, man, I was a dick, you know, <laughs> six, yeah. six months yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and this, it's, I think it's important to yeah. exercise that humility and actually f try to find mm. the most accurate information. Well, look, it, it's important to acknowledge as well that it's very hard to change your mind. Like I think this is this is a fundamental condition again on on both sides. There, there's something um, I was studying on recently called the backfire effect, which is that if you rigorously disprove something mm. that somebody believes to their face, they are if tested later more convinced of what they believed than when you first spoke to them. Oh yeah. And again, oh, we sucks. we all do this. Yeah. Like you know this is this is the point that I want to make here that it is Can we not. We call that the double down effect. Sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, people will get confused and go, do you mean the backfire effect? And you go, yes. Or the Ford freakout effect brought to you by. Anyway, uh, corporate sponsorship. That's what I don't have. Corporate sponsorship. Go. Oh, but then I'm on the I'm on the take, aren't I? Absolutely. I can't be trusted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, why don't we talk about that? Because we've got a couple of minutes. How much do you mm. get from Big Pharma every month? So like, much. Do you really? No, absolutely. Oh, no. That's a real shame. No, not at all. So I how think... do we how do we address conspiracy theories? That's probably man. I don't know if we can talk about this in five minutes. We might go over Let's time. Go. Um, but when when people talk about something like I mean I, that must probably be one of the biggest things for you, right? Like you're testing a thing and saying, oh well, yeah, but you know, profit motive and and you know, Big Pharma. So therefore. Mm. you can't be trusted yeah i mean i see things that don't work all the time yeah all the time and there are you know thousands of companies operating in this space sure are developing you know hundreds of thousands of different molecules to try and treat different diseases sure and 99 percent of them don't work right and that's just how it is that's why everything is so expensive sure that's why you have to cost in all the failures to the one thing that makes it down the other end yeah um but also another aspect is if you think that everyone that works for the pharmaceutical industry is on the take, hmm. um, then you kind of assume that everyone that a pharmaceutical scientist or representative, yeah, everyone that they know, they don't get cancer, yeah, or they don't right. get autism from vaccines or whatever <laughs> the heck you want to think, yeah, sure, you know, those kind of things. You you disassociate that, yeah, and that's just patently not gonna happen, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, aside from the, the yeah the financial means that would require this big conspiracy. Well, that and I mean, fundamentally too. Um, you know, we talked about this very early on, but I guess to come back to to drive this home at, at the end as well is that one of the reasons the scientific method was developed was that people recognised that although my my natural senses are reliable to a point, mm. um, they cannot be trusted completely, and so I need some external method that says, are the things that I'm seeing really the things that I'm mm. seeing? Mm. Ironically, if anybody says, well, you know, you can't trust a big farmer, they're all on the take. The only way you could know that would be to scientifically test it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Absolutely. Like, otherwise, and yeah. this is what I mean, like you, you, when you reject something, you need to understand. Hello again. <laughs> Talking to you. Um, you need to understand if you reject something, you need to understand what you're affirming in its place. Right. And if you reject a scientific approach to stuff, then what is left is anecdotal evidence, which is, I saw this thing, this thing happened to me. Now look, again, that is the mother of all science because somebody observes something, experiences something and goes, oh, this happened, is it like this for everybody? Mm. But if you don't have a method to test it, then all you have is, this happened to me, careful it'll happen to you, and you go, well, did it cause that? Yeah. You don't know. Absolutely. This is what the scientific method's about, right? Totally. And yeah. otherwise, we'd all be drinking radioactive water and yeah. putting, I don't know, suppositories of snake oil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jaxies. So, yeah. So, you're saying I shouldn't be doing that? Oh. What? Okay. Uh, well, that, that ended on an awkward note, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Very good. Appreciate it, man. No, glad to be involved. Thank you. And I was glad to have him involved for a second time around. So, that's our discussion around research. Um, again... It's very important to acknowledge that it's not easy to change your mind or my mind, uh, anybody's mind. Um, and you might be listening to this thinking, yeah, sweet. Now I'm like nicely armed with a whole bunch of stuff that I can go and, you know, 
convince people with. Um, that's not really the point of this. Uh, the point of this is to say with information that comes your way, uh, there are principles that we need to learn how to follow that at least will protect us from getting uh, uh, upset unnecessarily or be able to more critically assess the information that comes our way. Uh, and I thought also too, um, to explain the principles of the scientific method, look, I am, I'm not a science grad at all. Um, I have a Bachelor of Communication Studies with a radio broadcasting major, uh, which does not in any way qualify me um, in and of itself, but I've learned these things. And so I guess I wanted to share that with you so that you could learn those things too. All right. So thanks for listening to that. I've got a couple more podcasts actually lined up to record in the next few days. So it's going to be a busy time for the Andrew Curtis show. But if you do want to get in touch, you're always welcome, of course, via the Andrew Curtis show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 